0: Good morning, everyone. (laughs) What a glorious day. It was a bit awesome seeing you all filling up all the pews. I was just standing at the back looking across the uh, congregation, and uh, it warmed my heart (laughs) to see all of you here today. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as well today, so um, be thinking about that throughout the message, preparing your hearts for that moment as well. Can I pray before I begin? Is that all right? <clears throat> Father God, this is your church, your people, your temple. In the hearts of each person here today, they've come to hear a word from you, God, not from me. I pray, Father, that you take the words from my mouth and translate them to the hearts of those that are sitting here and at home. I pray, God, that... Um, We would meet you today. We've already met you in our worship time, our our singing times, in our prayer times. And uh, we acknowledge you've been working all week long. You've been surprising us with your handiwork, with your transforming of people's hearts and minds, and uh, the way you bless us as well. Thank you, God, for this moment of opening your word and hearing what it is you have to say to us, I pray. And thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So, we do have about four Sundays left in this sermon series on Journey to Jerusalem. We're going to finish up at the end of July. And uh, in August, we're going to have a variety of speakers. I'm going to use August. I'll be preaching a little bit in August, but for the most part, I'm going to be turning my attention to the fall, September, October, November. And so, August, I will be here, but not necessarily preaching. I, I need to spend some time just getting my brain focused on the next sermon series. So you'll hear uh, Jared Schutz, our, our youth intern, will be speaking. Uh, our, our chairman of the elders is going to be also. Jeff Salmon will be preaching. Uh, Kyle, our worship leader, will be preaching. Uh, a friend of mine who's also uh, an associate pastor in the area will be speaking as well. So you'll hear a lot of different voices over the next couple of weeks. But they all have the same Bible and the same spirit leading and guiding us and I'm actually coaching a few of them along the way because this is their actual first time to preach. And, uh, and I know you'll be gracious and kind and encouraging, right? <laughs> Jesus is heading into enemy territory in Jerusalem now and His op- opposition is increasing. Looking at Luke chapter 20, the first 20, 19 verses. It's getting more and more serious. There's been a few skirmishes, so to speak, between Jesus and the religious leaders along the way. Now they're actually coming directly and confronting him face to face, demanding that they uh, hear who has sent him, who his authority is, what right does he have to speak. He's in the temple teaching about the kingdom of God. And they, in force, come and greet him almost with an ultimatum. The devil is trying to distract and discourage and dissuade him from completing his mission, but he has set his face on completing his mission, going to Jerusalem, headed to the cross. During his journey so far, when he faced opposition, he faced it with grace and strength and wisdom and resolve. If you want to know how to handle your enemies, how to handle opposition, how to handle accusations, look to Jesus. Uh, He's a a fascinating study. As we were worshiping earlier in the songs and, 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 you know, holy is his name and, uh, you know, the name of Jesus is powerful. It's it's a stark contrast to what we're going to find in the scriptures today because the people who don't like Jesus, oh, they just don't have a clue who they're dealing with. They think that they're so smart. They think that they're so powerful and authoritative. But they're standing before Jesus, the one who created them. So let's read the passage, first eight verses in Luke chapter 20. Um, I'm going to break this passage up into two sections. The first section is this confrontation, and the next section is Jesus' story in response to their accusations against him and demands. So one day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over amongst themselves. If we say that it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe John? But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. They copped out. Jesus says, well, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things either. What I love about the interaction is that, well, let just say, first of all, Jesus is not to be trifled with. The word trifle, it is a British treat, a delicacy, you know. Mostly mushy cake and fruits and stuff in a bowl. But the other word for trifle means to treat someone without seriousness or respect. They were being disrespectful to Jesus. They wanted him to fit into their understanding so they could control him. They thought if they could identify his source of power and authority, they could manipulate him like they had done to others. They were so wrong. Their authority came from human beings. Christ's authority came from God and was outside of their sphere of knowledge and control. They were smart and powerful and intimidating in their own eyes, but they were weak and foolish in God's eyes. They were blinded by their own importance when they should have been humbled before their Messiah. Jesus is not to be trifled with. Also, Jesus is never forced to comply with our demands. He's not obligated to answer our questions, nor can he be manipulated into reacting into any particular way. These people are demanding he answer them. You ever go to your boss and say, I demand a raise. You go to the CEO of your corporation or company and say, I demand that you change things. What happens when you do that? Typically, you just get turfed out and like, you know, I'll find someone else. Who do you think you are? Well, that's what's going on here. They're demanding their creator respond to their question. We don't demand things from those in higher positions of authority over us. And Jesus is not obligated to answer our questions or bow to our demands either. Jesus cannot be pressured to make a deal with us either. Or compromise his position or divert his course of action just because we tell him to or try to bargain with him or threaten him. I know none of you have ever said any of these things I'm about to say. Well, God, if you don't heal my sister, I'm never going back to church. God, if you land me the job I want, I will start tithing right away. God, the more money you give me, the more money I can give back. God, I've served you all my life. I've never strayed down the wrong path. I've never taken your name in vain or even done anything really bad. And all I ask you to do is this one thing for my family, and I will never ask you for anything ever again. Never try to bargain with God or pressure him. You know, sometimes we forget that our heavenly father is not like our earthly father. I don't, maybe you've not done this either, but I do know people that learn how to get things from their dad when they're at a young age. Some people have their dads wrapped around their little finger. Anything you ask, he will do. You're just so precious. I wasn't the precious one in the family. I can get my dad to do anything. Some people uh, learn how to guilt their dad into helping them because of his past failures, or sadly, they threaten. To withhold access to grandkids if he doesn't come through for them. You know, there's lots of ways to control and manipulate and guilt people into doing things, but none of those things work with God. He is not a, an earthly father. He is master, creator of all. If you want to have influence over God, there is a way, actually. Um, be faithful, be kind, be generous. treat others with respect and dignity. In the scriptures, that actually gets his attention. People are known in the the New Testament for their good works and their their deeds done towards others. Often we like to think we're in control, that we have it all together, that we can determine our own destiny. But we aren't, we don't, and we can't. God is the only one that has it all together. Jesus is not to be trifled with. Jesus cannot be forced to comply with our demands. And Jesus is the smartest person in the room. John tells us, as we read earlier this morning, all things were created by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. John tells us that Jesus was in the beginning with God, that he is God, and that he became flesh and lived among people. John also writes that Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. When you go to a, an argument with Jesus, it's actually not fair because he already knows what you're thinking. He knows what your, what your thoughts are. He knew their course of action. He knew their intentions. He knew what they were trying to make him do, and he wasn't playing their game. He's the smartest person in the room. So Jesus basically ignores their question, takes control of the conversation. He turns their offense into defense, and he tells a story for all to hear putting his accusers in their place, demonstrating his masterful response to being attacked. I'm just amazed. If you just read through the New Testament, take a time, maybe this summer, just read his interaction with people and how he always, even in very difficult situations, he took control of the conversation and turned it around to really deep and important truths. So verse 9 Jesus turns to the people again, and he told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, and he rented it out to tenant farmers and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant and beat him up and sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant, but they also insulted him and beat him up and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him, chased him away. What will I do, said the owner to himself, I know. I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, Hey, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyards to others. How terrible such a thing should ever happen, his listeners protested. A lot of Jesus' stories are kind of harsh. (laughs) But life uh, is no different, right? What's going to happen in a few weeks to Jesus is the same thing. He's just being honest. With the kinds of evil things people do all the time, we see it around the world even today, these kinds of things continue to happen. So the evil farmers thought that they were law unto themselves. They thought they were in control of the situation, would not be held accountable. They were unconcerned that God was watching and that God holds people to an account. He judges all. They were blinded by greed. And selfishness, and harmed innocent people with their wanton violence and willful disregard for life. And even the crowd agreed, how terrible that this would ever happen. Who would do so evil a thing and be so corrupt as to perpetrate such a crime, they said. And then Jesus kind of, he hits home. This is the application. He says, Verse 17, then what does the scripture mean? He says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. The builders, in application, would be the religious leaders of the day, the ones who would come to accuse him, to, to demand some kind of answer to their questions. They rejected him, the stone that God provided them, the stone which, despite the intentions of the builders, would become the standard and set everything in proper place. It would not be a building of of rock or stone hewn by by men's hands or bricks made by craftsmen. It's not a building built by humans, but a spiritual building, the spiritual cornerstone that he sent his son. Finally, after all the prophets and and leaders that God had sent his people over the centuries, rejected one after another after another. And finally he sends his son, and what happens to his son? They took him and beat him and killed him. Verse, 20, uh, verse 18, everyone who stumbles over that stone, over Christ, will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. Look back into the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 13. It says something very similar. It says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah will we, we'll, we'll be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. Not long after the crucifixion of Jesus, some, some 40 years, the Romans came in and totally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. All the inhabitants lost their lives For the most part, judgment came. The stone that they rejected came as judgment upon them. So who were these servants that were sent to the vineyard in Jesus' story? Well, prophets like Isaiah and Amos, Ezekiel and Malachi. They were the the judges like Samson and Samuel and Othniel. They were godly leaders that, that God had sent over and over. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai, even the prophet jeremiah was mistreated by the rulers of the day he came with a message from god and they just, every time he would read out the prophecy someone would take the scroll and just burn it finally they threw him in a pit hopefully just to be done with him jesus has said i, I sent my servants time and time and time again and you rejected them. You rejected the message. You thought you knew better. You thought you had it all together. The truth is you don't have a clue. You're missing out. The cornerstone is there, is waiting for, to be the foundational part of your life. So in verse 19 of chapter 20, the teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. The people got it right. The religious leaders were totally messed up. These religious leaders could hardly contain their rage. They didn't, I just, the irony of the story. They were playing out the parable Jesus just said. They were enraged. They wanted to get rid of this son of God. They figured out Jesus was comparing them to the unscrupulous and evil tenant farmers, and they wanted to lay hands on Jesus. They just didn't see that they were acting exactly as he just had said. Eventually, they would get their way. They would arrest him. They would abuse him. Then they would kill him, but not because they had authority or power over him, because it was God's will, and he willingly laid down his life as a lamb, to be slaughtered. No one ever had power over Christ. No one ever had authority over Jesus his entire life except for the Father. They worked together the whole time. The the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were always in concert accomplishing God's will on earth. What to do with the Son? A stumbling block to some people, a foundation stone to others. Three... Three questions for you as I wrap up this message. One, is Jesus a bother to anyone here today? He was a bother to the religious leaders. He was a pain in the side to the religious leaders. He got, kept getting in the way and exposing their evil deeds. Do his commandments get in the way of what you want to do? Are you... Tired of always feeling guilty when you act in ways that are contrary to God's ways and God's will? Maybe you've long since put away your Bible. Maybe you can't remember the last time you prayed other than saying grace at meals. If that's so, then likely there's no worship going on in your heart either today, much less any desire to tithe your income to God's kingdom efforts. To many people, Jesus is a bother. Don't bring him up at family events. Don't always keep talking about him. Can't you just forget about that religious stuff? Or maybe, maybe Jesus is a curiosity to people. Do you like what he has to say and like how he lived his life, but you just don't want him to affect your own life and family too much? You're content to live on the fringe of the church, on the periphery, never really getting involved, never really committing to anything in particular. But maybe you wonder once in a while, what what would it happen in my family, in my life, if I actually was fully committed, if I was actually all in and sold out to Jesus? Are you curious about what it means to live a spirit-filled life and to have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus? Are you curious about What others seem to express and experience in their life, but you just haven't quite got there yet? What do you think would change in your life if you were fully committed? To many people, Jesus is still just a curiosity. They're wondering, but not really all in. Maybe Jesus, to you, is Lord. The one you regularly check in with for direction and guidance. The one you seek out in prayer when you are confused or discouraged. Is he the one person you feel worthy of your worship and praise and adoration? Not simply because of what he's done for you, but because of who he is. He is all authority. He is creator. He is sovereign. When we come before him, not just when we admit it. Would you bow your heads for just a moment as you reflect on the Lord's Supper we're about to take? In the passage today, Jesus was headed to the cross. He was going to be a sacrifice for us. He had you and me on his mind and on his heart as he hung on the cross, giving his life, paying the penalty for our sins. I hope he's not just a curiosity in your heart today. I hope he's more than that, that you have fully committed your life into his hands and trust him with your family, with your future, with your present We are going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to pass this to you, and you get to decide, are you doing this as the Lord's Supper or just some juice and a cracker? Is this the Lord's Supper for you? Are you all in, fully committed to Him? Allowing Him to make the changes in your heart and life and family that He wishes to make. I'm going to ask our helpers to come at this point As we serve our family, communion.